Welcome to the Mary Shannon Bible Study with speaker, leader, and acclaimed Bible teacher, Mary Shannon. Every week, she'll dive deep into scripture using her unique blend of laugh-out-loud humor and hitting-you-between-the-eyes truth that we all need. So put on your big girl pants, because here we go. Last week, um, we finished up um, the whole wedding, and... We talked about the fact that, you know, he tarried for a little while with his disciples. And then now we're going to enter into John chapter 2, verse 13, where Jesus then goes with his disciples to Jerusalem. So that's where we're going to start this morning. Remember where we've been. I know you don't think we've been that far in the scripture, but it's been quite the journey, right? We've had the entire first chapter of verbal testimony where John the Apostle says, listen, Jesus is the Logos. He is. He is the divine reason that you see in the cosmos. He is the the order that came out of the chaos. He is the Word, the Logos, and he was with God before the beginning began, and he was God, and all things were created through him. And if you don't believe me, believe John the Baptist, who looked at him and said, he was the one. I saw the Spirit come down and rest upon him, This is the Lamb of God that has taken away the sins of the world. We also heard testimony coming out of the disciples, as they were called. And then we see the first sign, the changing the water into wine at the wedding. And we talked about this wedding celebration and what it was like and what we have to look forward to because Jesus is the true bridegroom. And we talked about the fact that every sign is pointing towards something. It is pointing towards Jesus, a new revelation about him. It is always pointing to who he is and what he is saying. Because remember, the theme is, these things I have written that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing in him, you would have life in his name. And so all of this is pointing to who Jesus is. And if we know who he is and who he's from, then we need to hear what he says. And so here we are now in Chapter 2, verse 13, the cleansing of the temple. It says, the Passover Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. They go from one beautiful celebration, the wedding, to what should have been another one, the feast of Passover, one of three feasts that required that they travel to Jerusalem. What are they celebrating? They're celebrating freedom. They're celebrating liberation. If you ever want to hear a song about freedom, the Gaither Vocal Band has the best song ever about let freedom ring. God built freedom into every fiber of our being. And he did. And they are there to celebrate that kind of freedom. Their deliverance from bondage of Egypt. Imagine that. Do you remember what what that took? Do you remember? Their freedom, God finally hears their cries, and by his mighty right hand and ten plagues, do we need to review the ten plagues? You know? Give me corona over the ten plagues. I'm here to tell you right now. Right? What are they? 
I can, I, let's see if I remember the motions, right? Blood, so the water was turned to blood. Do you remember what comes next? Frogs. Don't y'all wish y'all had been back in my middle school classes back in the day? Frogs, gnats, gnats that you would breathe, gnats like the air, breathing in your nostrils, in your mouth, in your eyes, in every orifice. You cannot breathe. The air became gnats. That makes me have an anxiety attack just thinking about it. Okay, swarms, all various swarms, anything that swarmed. So you can imagine what that was like. Livestock, y'all aren't doing these motions with me. Blood, frogs, gnats, swarms, livestock, the death of all their livestock. Imagine what that was. Food, dairy, you name it. It's being wiped out, okay? And then boils. So they experience sickness and rot and death themselves. Boils. What is the last thing you want if you have boils? Hail. You want hail falling on your boils? All right, this is going to help you remember. I know you think I'm a wacko, but your kids may want to know these one day. All right, so then hail, what did the hail do to the crops? It destroyed it, and then the, the locusts came in and destroyed, so now you have no meat, you have no dairy, you have no green. You're being wiped out. Do you understand that? And then after that, the thing most of us fear the most, other than death, is what? darkness a darkness you could feel you want to talk about depression this was a darkness they could feel it had weight and it said that light could not do anything it, it could not push it back that is darkness and then at the end it was the death of the firstborn all right what is it one blood frogs gnats swarms Livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, death of the firstborn. All right? See, you would have passed my test. If I made up motions, you would have known all this stuff, right? And so, but think about it. The death of the firstborn. They had instructions about that. They were all to pick a lamb. Remember, I think only the first two or three, I can't remember right off the bat, um, impacted the Israelites. After that, it was only happening in Egypt. But now, this last one, they've been instructed, oh, it will happen to everyone. And so if you believe what God says and act in faith, you will be saved. And what did they have to believe? Well, they had to go and they had to find a lamb in the prime of its life, and they would bring that lamb in their home and keep it safe for three days, inspecting it, no spot or blemish, taking care of it. And then on the third day, they would bring it out at dusk, and the whole nation would slay their lambs all at once, and they would put the blood of that lamb on the doorpost, marking their home, one lamb per family. If you were small, you joined another family, and you would bring it in, and it was to be cooked over the fire, roasted, not boiled, because fire represents judgment, and none of it was to be kept as a leftover, all consumed, none of it wasted. And so you have all of these instructions, because that night, the destroyer was to pass over. And you know what happened? The wailing and the screaming that went on in Egypt. Like, we read this like a Bible story, but we don't really think about what that would be. 
Let me tell you, you've never heard wailing until you hear a mom lose their child. I cannot imagine that kind of wailing throughout an entire, not one family was spared. Not one. Can you imagine the grief that was running through Egypt and the relief, the silence that was in Goshen? I mean, absolute opposite. Until Pharaoh said, you may go, and you have this whole march of liberation and freedom. And I wish if we could see it, you know how movies are today, if we see things, it promotes emotion. And I just imagine, can you imagine what it was for two million people to walk out absolutely free after a life of bondage? They didn't know anything other than bondage. And so they walked out free. This is the celebration. I don't know, maybe the closest thing we can come to is 4th of July, although I think we've even made that material. The 4th of July, the celebration of freedom, which is hard for us to truly understand, almost like them, because why? Time has passed, and we have been free for so long that we have forgotten what it would be like to be in bondage, and we take our freedom for granted. And I think they did the same. But this is what they are to be celebrating, the Passover. Jesus was going to Jerusalem to celebrate the, this very thing with his disciples. Can you imagine walking into Jerusalem with, and I don't think they knew this, the Passover lamb himself? I mean, here we had had a wedding celebration where he is basically showing us sitting back as the bridegroom. He performs the miracle to show us something. He is the bridegroom. And we're going to see that he is now walking into this Passover celebration. He is, John the Baptist has already proclaimed, he is the Lamb of God. I can't imagine what Jerusalem was like. I've been there. <clears throat> I've been on the Temple Mount. They said that possibly two million people would have shown up for this celebration. <clears throat> I can't imagine what it would have been like. I can't imagine the commotion. What a celebration. It should have been an opportunity for camaraderie, community, and celebration. Some people, if they were really poor, they had very little opportunity to even do this. This might be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to make this trip and to celebrate the Passover like this. And so you can imagine all the commotion. But instead of celebration, what they ended up finding was corruption. The crowds brought a big payday for the merchants. Think about it. Anytime there is a crowd, there is opportunity to make a buck. Think about the Olympics. People open just pop-up stores, you know, like that, so that they could sell their wares. I'm not judging them. I'm saying, but that's what they did. When you have a Super Bowl, look what happens. People do everything they can to make a buck because you have a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity when this amount of people comes to your location. These people had come, and they had traveled a long way. And although the Romans had made travel pretty safe, they had the Pax Romana, this um, hundred years of basically peace, and the roadways were made, and so travel was fairly safe, but it was hard, okay? It's not like traveling like our road trips. Um, you can imagine, I mean, you want to go hiking out there? 
Go imagine making that pilgrimage all the way from your home to go up to Jerusalem. When I was at the Dead Sea and we went to Masada, I took the trail called the Snake Path up to Masada, but you can imagine what kind of hike. The Jericho Road was on an edge. I mean, it was a scary path. And so travel was hard. Because of that, they weren't going to bring their sacrifice with, with them. Can you imagine? It, depending on the hike I take, I have a white lab. Sometimes I don't take him with me. Why? He's going to kill me. Depending on what, what the edge is like. Plus, if your sacrifice goes with you and you're having to care for that sacrifice, what if something goes wrong? If that sacrifice gets injured in any way, you just wasted it because they're no longer going to be accepted as a sacrifice for Passover. And so most people bought them there in Jerusalem. And because of supply and demand, when you don't have options, what do you think happened to the price? Went up. They were forced to pay higher prices. The salesmen had them right where they wanted them. And all of this happened in the temple complex, in the courtyard of the Gentiles. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. Think about this. You know good and well that the priests were getting kickbacks. You know how sales works, right? You find your niche. You have an audience right here that has, there they need a sacrifice. And so you find your salesman that you benefit. You want our courtyard? Let's make it convenient for the people. We're just going to put it right there in the courtyard of the Gentiles so it's convenient. Was there a need? Of course there was a need. Absolutely. Is there anything wrong with the need? No. But they're taking advantage of the need, and so they're going, well, let us just make it. And by the way, these are pre-certified offerings. It comes, this lamb comes with a certificate a pre-certification that the priests have already checked them out because Lord knows you don't want to go to the mom and pop store down the street and buy a lamb and then get that lamb here and the priest said, oh, sorry about it, not good enough. You've just wasted your money. Don't bother wasting your money. Come on in to the courtyard of the Gentiles because we have pre-certified offering. Can't you see it? This is, listen, there is nothing new under the sun. Okay, mankind is mankind, and this is what was going on. And it was all taking place in the courtyard of the Gentiles. What's that? It's the closest a non-Jew could come to experience God. Think about that. The closest a non-Jew could come to experience God. It's basically us in the workplace. That's what it is. Do you realize that you may be the closest a non-believer comes to experiencing God. Thus why I had to stay home this week. Because <laughs> I was mean as a junkyard dog. <clears throat> and I thought if I experience anybody, because I care about people. I want y'all to know I love them to pieces. I love people. And I knew I was in a funk. And I thought I am going to hurt someone's feelings. Okay, I'm going to go. I'm not wearing a mask. I'm not wearing a mask. And if anybody asks me where my mask is, I'm going to tell them a hundred facts as to why they don't need it. I'm, have you ever been there? Okay. 
And I thought, and I'm going to be mean. And the thing is, is I don't want to be mean. That person may be sick. They're afraid. That's their right. Shannon, butt out. Why are you being so mean? But this is the way I was. And I'm like, no, we can't be like that because I am, we are out in the world and people are watching us. So I tell my friends, you can't be bad. You can't because you're going to be a reflection of me. Put your mask on. You know, like, I mean, this world we're living in, who would have thunk, right? And so, but literally, they were to be showing God to the Gentile. And instead, they literally corrupted that. That is what is happening to make a buck. And then you have the money changers. Do you realize that every Jew... 20 years and up were required to pay a temple tax. They were required to take care of the temple. That makes sense. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. Matter of fact, Exodus 30, 12 through 14 says this. When you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this, half a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. It was a command. Matthew 17, 24 through 27 brings it more current in the New Testament. It says, when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? I love this. I love how Jesus thinks. This is how I try so hard with my kids. And instead of telling them what they should think, well, I've got better at it. I used to tell them exactly what to think. And then they would tell me what, you know, where to go half the time. And so then I had to decide, okay, how do I get them thinking, period? And so then I decided questions are a really good thing, and maybe guided questions are a really good thing. So I love how Jesus is. He brings them in. He has conversation. He says, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? Well, Peter's like, that's easy. They don't take taxes from their sons. I mean, they're the princes. No, they take them from others. And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Do you remember what it was called in here in, in Exodus? What did it say? It said a ransom, that the temple tax was a ransom for their life. And he's like, I'm the son. My life does not need to be ransom. I am the ransom. But he says, however, do not give offense to them. Go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. He's like, listen, we're not going to die on this mountain. Okay? So sometimes there are things we're free to do that we just shouldn't as an offense. Now, don't get locked in there. Because if you grew up very legalistic, you were allowed to do nothing because it would offend. Who's it offending in our world today? Mostly religious people. Most of the things that they would tell me not to do as an offense was because someone who's already saved and religious would be offended, not the world. If the world is going to be offended, then yes, we, we do need to stop and think of things. There are things I choose not to do. I am free to do it, 
but I choose not to do it because of the message that it portrays. And it, it wouldn't portray a godly message. It wouldn't portray me correctly. And so I think we, we have to have balance in these kinds of things. When they brought the temple tax, they were only able to use Jewish or Tyrian coins because of the purity. And so because of that, they were coming from all areas, and all their different areas, they had their own coinage. And so they had to exchange money. Have you ever traveled to another country and you've had to exchange money? Okay, well, there's typically an exchange rate. So what is happening is, once again, they are forced into a situation where they have to have a certain coinage because of its purity, and so they are bringing their coins, and these money changers are charging them an exorbitant exchange rate. Actually, F.F. Bruce says that in some cases he believes it was 12.5%. Okay, that's, you want to go buy a car for 12.5%? That's a high interest rate, and so that's what's happening. The feast should have been about remembrance. It should have been about gratitude. It should have been about freedom and liberation and celebration, but instead they made it about forced obedience, manipulation, a burden, entrapment, and an obligation. You see how they changed the mood? You're coming in. You feel the power in the air. It is a celebration. You're so excited to be there. But a lot of the men were walking around feeling the burden of how am I going to meet all the obligations and requirements. And so it killed the mood. The temple was a place of prayer, a place of holy reverence, light in the darkness, a place not like the rest of the world. It was a little piece of heaven. Do you realize that's what it was designed to be? The tabernacle? Now the point and what we are saying is this. I'm reading you some scripture. I didn't write the reference or I'd tell it to you. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy place, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. So the tabernacle was designed after the holy place, the temple in heaven, basically how it is set up. They serve as a copy and shadow of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. The tabernacle and the temple was to be an example or a replica of heavenly things that we cannot see. Literally, it was a piece of heaven on earth, and they are corrupting it. They were here to celebrate their freedom from Egypt, but the religious establishment were acting much more like the Egyptians, and they were putting their people back in bondage. I hope we don't do that. God died to set us free. The truth shall set you free. To take the load off. That we are forgiven, that we are free, that we are a child of God. I think we need to be very careful when they experience the freedom and they walk in with this idea of I'm a child of God, I'm free. And then all of a sudden we say, okay, well guess what? Here's the standard, here's what it looks like, this is what you need to do. And we start piling back on top of them all of this load. And I think we better be very careful how we do that. So Jesus comes in and he cleans house. Boy, that's what I was wanting this week, right? I'm like, when are you going to walk in and clean some house? 
And I just had this attitude. I saw it my way and my way only. You just need to clean house. And I watched him. What did he do? He made a scourge out of cords. I'm like, yes, that's a good start. Like, I'm ready. I want to see you with the whip in hand. And it says he goes in there and he drives them all out. What did that look like? Now, I want you to close your eyes, and I'm just going to give you a couple, a few descriptions, and I want you to see. Now, I just told you there are about 2 million people running around Jerusalem. The temple is cram-packed. So imagine this happening. Animal sellers frantically chasing their animals. People running and jumping out of the way. They're everywhere. Have you ever seen people chasing animals? And trying to get them and what that looks like. And boom and boom. And I mean, I just kept picturing this. People running, jumping out of the way. Coins being turned upside down, spilling all over the ground. What do you think people are doing? What's one of the greatest distractions you see in murder mysteries or, or uh, spy movies? They take the cash and what do they do? They throw it up in the air because it creates a ruckus and they can get away, whatever. So people are coming in. There's coinage being spilled all over the ground. Pigeon dealers have their pigeons in the cages, and they are running, grabbing them. They have them. They're running all around, hitting people, trying to get out of there. They don't want to lose their pit. Can you imagine what that looked like? Makes me kind of want to laugh, but I'm going to say there wasn't a whole lot of laugh. Well, maybe there was some laughter. I don't know. But this is what is happening. He says, do not make my father's house a house of trade. He's reminding them about his father claiming his deity, that he is the Messiah. Now, let me read you some Old Testament prophecy about this. Malachi 3, 1 through 3. Behold, I send my messenger. So this is a messianic prophecy. And he will prepare the way for me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. And he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Zechariah 14 says that he will sanctify all things and never again shall there be a traitor in the house of the Lord. The Messiah will clean house. It was quite a commotion, but I want you to know it was a commotion, but it wasn't a real threat. How do I know that? Because if you've ever been on the Temple Mount, you also are aware of the Antonia Fortress that is at the corner of that Temple Mount. And who was in that? Romans. And I'm going to tell you what, the last thing the Romans want is an upheaval from the Jews. So they are watching them closely. They watch everything they do. And I'm going to here to tell you, if they thought this was some kind of revolt, they would have been all over it. But I don't think they thought it was a threat. <clears throat> what do you think they thought it was? I can't imagine them watching it. Because I'm going to tell you, the religious leaders were a pain in their stinking neck. And they were always having to keep basically the religious leaders somewhat happy because they were containing the issues with the Jews. Jews hated the Romans. They were highly taxed. But they were always trying to keep the peace. Can you imagine them watching this from the Antonia Fortress as all this commotion is going on? 
at least in my mind, I see them getting everybody to come over and check out what is going on at Passover. This is a fiasco. People are running around. Animals are flying out of the temple. People are jumping up. They're getting all the coinage. I mean, it had to be quite the sight. And in this, it says that the disciples remembered. What did they remember? What does it say in your scripture? Zeal for your house will consume me. That's out of Psalm 69. It's a messianic psalm. It's one of the psalms that is quoted the most in the New Testament. And they sat and they're watching all of this. And now they're remembering. Things are starting to make sense to them. Remember, they have already said when they saw the first sign that they believed in him. And now with each thing that they are seeing, their belief is being confirmed. They're beginning to see. What made Jesus so angry? What made him so angry? The contrast he pointed out was between my father's house and what? What does it say in your scripture? A house of trade or a marketplace, some of your Bibles may say. What is it? Merchandise, okay? So in other words, he's basically saying he's making a difference in a marketplace and the house of God. My father's house. He, what he is saying, this house is about knowing and loving and treasuring a person. My father. In this temple, my father has supreme place. He is the supreme treasure here. He is the supreme treasure. Psalm 84.11 says a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Man, I'm claiming that. A day in your courts, one day, is better than a thousand elsewhere. Psalm 73.25, whom have I in heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. Nothing on earth that I desire beside you. But that focus has been replaced by the focus on trade. And there is no reference here, by the way, to the people or the animals. All of this is directed to the religious establishment, the ones who are selling and handling the currency. What is the deal here is that Jesus could see through their veneer of religious helpfulness. To the heart, in fact, in verse 25, it says, he himself knew what was in man. So what is he so mad at? He's mad at the hypocrisy. He's mad at the fact that they're acting like this is so helpful. That what they're doing is such a blessing to the people. That we're here to serve. We're here to supply you with what you need. But yet, what are they really interested in? They're really interested in a buck. He saw that this bazaar was not advancing communion with the Heavenly Father. It was not flowing from a love of God, but instead a love of what? Money. Do not be confused. There are pastors out there still today that are working this angle, that are appearing so spiritual, so religious, that these things that they're offering you, these opportunities... For you to give and serve because God is going to bless you because of your gift. He is going to press it down and shake it up because you are to give. 
And what it is, it's not coming from a heart of a love of God. It's coming from a heart of a love of money. And the fact is, God tells us in this, or Jesus says that he sees the heart. What Jesus saw that day in the temple was not an isolated instance of questionable worship support. If you remember, there was also a time where he gets on to the religious leaders because they had been pulling this already. They had been telling people, listen, I know that it's your responsibility to take care of your elderly parents, but if you claim what you have to be God's and you give it to us instead, that is okay. So basically what they're saying is you don't need to support your needy parents, just give us your money instead. Give your money to God. Or in Luke 20, 46 through 47, he says, Beware of the scribes who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. God sees the heart. What made him angry was not the fact that these people needed sacrifices. They needed sacrifices. It wasn't the fact that they made it available or they were trying to be helpful. The fact is they were trying to act religious and all spiritual when it was not out of a love for God and a love for people. It was out of a love for money. And how they were going about it was absolutely corrupt. And what they were doing is they had corruption and they put a religious veneer on top of it. And he said, oh, no, you don't. Because I see straight through that. I see the heart of men. Jesus came into the world to display an infinite worth of his father and to vindicate his father's honor and to free us from the killing effects of the love of money. Verse 18, so the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. What gives you the right, they said. Who do you think you are? What gives you the right to do this? He said, let me tell you what gives you the right. I am the temple. That's what gives me the right. I am the temple. What is the temple? What was the tabernacle designed for? It was designed so that sinful man could approach a holy God. The tabernacle was a way for man to have a relationship with a holy God. Jesus was the way. He came so that man, sinful man, could have a relationship with the holy God. Everything about that tabernacle was sanctified and purified. And Jesus proved time and time again that he was holy. He was righteous. There was no sin found in him. The tabernacle was a place where the glory of God dwelled, or the temple was a place where the glory of God dwelled. Scripture says that in Christ, the Godhead dwelled in him. Matter of fact, on the mountain of transfiguration with his three buddies, what did he do? He unzipped the flesh just for a minute so that they could see the glory of the Lord. He's like, what gives me the right? Because I am the temple. I represent everything about this temple. And since you mentioned it, let's talk about the destruction of the temple. You are destroying the temple. 
When you desecrate the worship of my father with your whitewashed greed, you destroy what the temple is, and you expose it to the wrath of God. And by the way, you've predicted it, I'm predicting it, the temple will be destroyed. It was destroyed in AD 70 by the Romans. But on another level, it's even deeper. Because he's basically saying this same attitude, this same materialistic deadness, this same fake spirituality will also destroy me. Just like you kill the worship in the temple with your consumerism and materialism, you will kill me. If you destroy his house, you destroy me. And how are you going to do it? What's it worth to you? 30 pieces of silver. In this cryptic statement, Jesus actually predicted the end of the Jewish religious system. The legal system has ended, is what he is saying. And there is a new system coming. It is a system of grace and truth. Jesus knows what is in man, verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. When they saw the signs that he was doing. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. We don't know what all those signs were. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. In other words, no matter what the people said or what people said about them, Jesus did not accept their profession. He did not accept human testimony. Why? Because God knows the heart of man. Just FYI, the word believe in verse 23, and the word maybe you have commit or entrust, depending on your translation, same Greek word. It's exactly the same. So in other words, it says this. They said that they believed in him, but he did not believe in them. Why? Because he knew. He knew their hearts. And at this point, he knows they're enamored by the miracles. They're enamored by the miracles. It is a quick belief that's based on the superficial. And a quick belief based on the superficial will never last through the crisis of belief. Can I tell you? It is like the seed that is planted amongst the thorns and the rocks. Oh, at first, it's going to sprout up really fast. It's going to receive it with great joy. But in the long run, what chokes it out? The thorns choke it out. Because I'm telling you, a quick belief based on the superficial, based on the emotion that does not have the root, and by the way, roots grow in pain, <clears throat> when that happens... It won't ever last through the crisis of belief. No heart change. What are the purposes of the miracles? The miracles were to be a testimony. John 5.36 says this, But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, Bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So what is he saying? Listen, I have a witness that's even greater than John's. Because look what I'm doing. The very things I am doing prove that I am from 
God. And if I am from God, should you not hear me? John 5, I already read that. And then our theme verse, chapter 20, verse, I'll start with 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these I chose to write, is what he's saying. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Signs confirm or point to who he is. His wonders confirm his words. Do you understand? We are, we're not to get enamored by the wonders. The wonders grab our attention so we recognize who he is. And when we recognize who he is, that he is God and sent from the Father, then we listen to his words and we believe. Seeing signs is the beginning of faith, for sure. John 2, 11. This will sound familiar. This was the turning the water into wine. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples, what? Believed in him. They believed in him. So they see the water turned into wine and they believe. But then look at John 2, 22. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So each time they believed in him, but with each sign, it was affirmation of what? Who he was, who he was. And each time it was a new revelation of what he is saying. And they grew in faith based on these signs. But what proved to be testimony for some, for others, it proved to be a test. The Jewish people were divided over the meaning of the miracles. I'll give you some examples. You can write just the reference and you can read it later. In John 9, this is the miracle of the man born blind and he's healed. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly, formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he received his sight. And he said to them, here are the facts. He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man, is not from God. this man is not from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was division among them. They both saw the exact same thing. A man who was born blind, who is now healed. The facts of the matter say that Jesus spit in the dirt, made mud, put it on his eyes. He sent him to wash, and when he did, he could see. That is the facts. One came back saying, well, he's not God because he healed on the Sabbath. Oh, my word, Thunderbird. And the other people are saying, seriously? So you think a sinner can do that? He is sent from God. Same thing, two different deals. John eleven thirty six through 37. This is about Lazarus. There's two incidences here. So the Jews said, so this is right after your favorite verse, the one we all learn because it's the shortest verse in the Bible. What is it? Jesus wept, okay? And so there, this is the commentary that they're giving in the background about Jesus crying. 
So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Same deal. They're seeing the same scenario. Jesus is weeping with the ones he loves. And one side over here is like, oh, he loved him so much. And the other side is like, well, if he loved him, he would have shown up two days earlier. Why is he crying now? It's a little too late. Same deal. Then verse 45 through 46. He's already raised him, okay? He's raised him. They just saw a dead man who had been in the cave for basically this is the fourth day, has now shown back up, wrapped in his burial cloths. Okay, they had to unwrap the man. It's quite the miracle. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. Duh. Read the next verse. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Are you kidding me? The same events that opened some eyes made others blind. How does that happen? I'm telling you, I sat there all week thinking, how do people not see what I see? <laughs> right? This is what it is to meditate on the scripture. It's where I am today. He's going to deal with my attitudes today. I'm like, how can people be so stupid? All right? And I don't need your, it's not even a political statement. I'm just being vulnerable and telling you how I feel and how the Lord is always working on me. But I I see it so, this certain way. I, I just don't even understand how somebody, and then what do I do? I'm like, well, they're just stupid. They just don't see. If they would stop watching what they're watching and being told what they're told and they would investigate it, they would see. Are you kidding me? You think this man got more votes than any president in our history? Okay, this is just how I was. And I have people who are on the opposite and they're like sore loser nanny nanny boo boo, right? I mean, it's all in like Donkey Kong. This is just our life. And we're all sitting in whatever it is. It's not just political, it's in your family. Do you and your husbands not argue over the same stinking event? And you're like, that is not what happened. That is not what was said and how that went down. I don't know. No, this is exact, and we do that dance. How can people see one event and come to such different conclusions? Oh, my gosh, there's nothing new under the sun. But here's the point. Jesus' miracles were always tied to his messages. They, they always had a message within them. He knew that the human heart was always drawn to sensationalism. Think about it. The feeding of the 5,000. In that moment, in emotion, they literally want to make him king. So what does he do? He preaches. And he preaches to them about him being the bread of life. And if you want a piece of me, you will eat my body and drink my blood. And all of a sudden, he lost the audience. I probably lost my audience five minutes ago when I got political. <laughs> but I'm just saying, honestly, the miracle was tied. Don't get caught up in the miracle. 
Hear what the miracle, see what the miracle is pointing to and listen to him. And he says, it's about the message. And so they left in, in droves because they were in it for what was in it for them. Yet Peter remained because Jesus looks at him and says, do you want to leave too? And what does he say? Where would I go? You have the words of life. You see, Peter didn't just believe the miracle. He wasn't enamored by the miracle. The miracle pointed to who Jesus was. He believed Jesus was the Christ, that he was the Son of God. And so even when he didn't understand what he was doing, he thought, where else will I go? I'm convinced that you are the Christ, that you've been sent from God, and I'm going to listen. And so that is where often we have to sit. When we truly have faith, we sit in the rub. Because we can't fully see or understand, like, oh, that was a really hard message, God, what you just gave. And I really don't know what you're doing. I don't see it. But what I do know is you are God, and I am not. You were sent from the Father. I will trust who you are. I will try to understand. You have the words of life. Where am I going to go? Jesus came with grace and truth. In grace he fed, and in truth he gave words. The people wanted the physical food, but not the spiritual truth. They wanted comfort and not conviction. They knew, he knew what was in man. Have we not seen this so far? Did he know what was in Simon? Of course he did. He called him the rock in John 1, 42. Did he know what was in Nathaniel? Yeah, a true Israelite in who there is no Jacob. John 1, 46. The Samaritan woman, what did she say? He knew everything about me. John 4, 29. He knew in John 5, 42 that the religious leaders had no love in their heart. He knew in John 6, 6, 6 that Judas wasn't a true follower. He knew in John 8, 10 through 11, he knew that there was repentance in the adulterous woman's heart. And in John 8, 39 through 49, he knew the murderous thoughts in the minds of his enemies. He knows the heart of man. I'm so glad. I am so glad that he knows and it's not up to me. You know, we talked earlier about the fact that the seed was put on the, the soil with the thorns and the rocks. In that same chapter, there's another parable that talks about the wheat and the tare. They're both there together. We do not have the ability to see between the two. They look identical. It is not until the harvest, God is the God of the harvest, where they will be determined. Because why? Because he sees the heart of men. Doesn't matter. We've already learned. It doesn't matter what men profess or what others profess about them. What matters is what God sees in the heart. People can profess God all day and not truly have heart change. And we can look at some people and think, surely not. But yet they have a sweet relationship with Jesus. And he says, I am the one who could read the hearts of man. I'm so thankful because I'm going to tell you right now, I'd be, I'd be ripping up wheat. And y'all, and based on times of my life, how about you? You'd have ripped me right out in a New York minute because I wasn't looking like a wheat. 
I was acting like a tear. And so I am so glad to see, hey, listen, the job of knowing the heart of man falls to God. So we go from one celebration that's so wonderful to another that seems so counterfeit. And at the end, we see people seeing the same things and, and coming to such different conclusions all the time. And yet at the end of the day, God says what? I am the one who can see to the heart of man. It does not matter what men see, say, it matters what I see. He knew the heart of man. At the beginning, it was easy to follow him. They saw public signs. It was all about comfort. But then he began to speak, and it penetrated their hearts, which produced conviction. And when there is conviction, we have two choices, conversion or opposition. When you are convicted, people want works, not words. They want to see to believe, but that's not how faith works. We believe, and then we see. At the end of the day, I realized and that I so wanted God to come in and do what I want and to stink and clean house because I cannot stand it when I feel there, you know, there's injustice. And maybe because I'm a three, I want to change things. And when I feel like I have no control to do anything about it, but I see it, it makes me bananas. And I realize I'm grieving and I couldn't control the death of my son and I can't control an election and I can't control people. I'm just coming undone because I can't freaking control anything. And I, I'm like Elijah under the tree. Lord, I'm the only prophet left that cares. <laughs> Where are you, God? I don't see you doing anything. He's like, Shannon, you need a snack and a nap. <laughs> and that's what I did yesterday. But what I realized is, do you understand this? This is the temple he's cleansing. It's not the world. One day he will clean, cleanse the world. I trust him. But he's cleansing the temple. Jesus is the temple, but who else is the temple? Me. So to be quite honest, I am like the disciples who are casting down fire on the cities who are rude to them. You know, and he said, you better be careful who you're casting down fire on. Because the job of this scripture is to cleanse me. That's what the job of the scripture is. So when I want him to cleanse the world, he's like, I got that and I can handle it. Either way, Shannon, I promise you I got it. I'm not blind. I'm not believing the news, okay? I'm in charge. I got this. And I, you know, you're okay. At the end of the day, baby girl, what I'm trying to cleanse is you. Is there any duplicity in you? If there's duplicity in you, we need to clean that mess out. That's the message of the cleansing of the temple. All right? There's all kinds of stuff in here you can study. So enjoy that. Look back over it this next week. All right? And just know, if you feel crazy, you ain't the only one, girl. We all crazy right now. We're in the craziest year we've ever been in. So just, it's okay not to be okay. All right? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today. I love your word. I love how, Lord, I can spin in it. I can freak out in it. And at the end of the day, you never fail me because you seem to always pull it back deep inside of me for conviction. I am not the one who will go through making choices. You are, and I'm so glad because you see clearly. Everything is laid bare in front of you. You are the good judge. And that was the point. 
You are the bridegroom. You came and you gave yourself. You bought me with the highest price. You're preparing a place for me and you will return. And there will be joy, joy, joy. No wine will run out. And Lord, you are the Passover lamb. You are the sacrifice. You are the perfect holy temple. And so God, as your glory shines in me, may I be that to all people so that when the world experiences me, they see you even in the midst of chaos. We love you in Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in to the Mary Shannon Bible Study. Be sure to subscribe. Shannon also hosts the hilarious and heartfelt Mary Shannon's Table podcast, where along with friends, they chat about life, faith, and leadership. Check out the show now and subscribe. If you want to connect with Mary Shannon, go to Instagram at itsmaryshannon or visit itsmaryshannon.com.